Good day, and welcome to the Sunday edition podcast of Simul Eustace at Picotter from Bemidji, Minnesota. We are excited that you have joined us to listen and ponder God's Word. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This podcast features weekly Sunday sermons from two different Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Centered churches located in Bemidji, Minnesota and Sioux City, Iowa. During the week, this podcast is composed of a series of short but in-depth unique daily devotions that follow the two-year lectionary from the Bible. If you are interested in learning more about our ministry at St. Mark's in Bemidji, direct your favorite web browser at www.stmarksbemidji.org. If you would like to learn more about our brothers and sisters at Grace Lutheran in Iowa, take a moment to visit their website at gracelutheransc.wordpress.com or look at the show notes in the details of the podcast for a link. Our sermon for today comes out of our sister congregation of Grace Lutheran in Sioux City and is titled, Priest Perfect. It is based upon a scripture reading from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We now join Pastor Allard for the sermon. Is it possible that Jesus Christ might be too great? And if you're thinking, what kind of question is that, Pastor? Why does that even matter? Uh, We would all agree that Jesus is great. But is he too great to be high priest? And the reason I say this is because from the same book that I just read, the book of Hebrews, a little bit earlier in chapter 5, this is what we read. Every high priest is to be selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people. And he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. There you heard it. And if you go a little bit earlier in the same chapter of Hebrews, Jesus is called all kinds of majestic things. He is called the creator. He's called the preserver of everything. He's called the heir of this world. He will inherit all of it. And he's also called the mirror image of the glory of God. And when you start to hear all of these words, the question has to be asked, is Jesus too distant, too glorious? And if you want to understand this a little bit better, just think of it this way, from your own perspective. Think about people who are uh, with money, with wealth, and with power are greater than us. Think of somebody like Warren Buffett. Uh, Think of somebody like Bill Gates. And at best, how do you think of those people? At best. Often, it's just, who cares? They don't understand me. I don't understand them. Who cares? At worst... We hate them. So Jesus, how different he is from the high priest that served for so many generations in Israel who were selected from among the people and they were able to sympathize with the people because they themselves were broken people. They themselves were sinners. 
So they could sympathize. They understood what it was like to face temptation. And the writer to the Hebrews was writing to a bunch of Jewish Christians who at that time were beginning to be persecuted by Caesar, by the Roman government. And so here are these Jewish Christians who are down in the trenches, starting to feel pain for following the way. And they would be asking the same question we might be. Is Jesus too great? Is he distant? Can Jesus Christ relate to us? Well, today, the writer to the Hebrews, as you might guess, he is going to tell us that Jesus is the perfect, the perfect high priest. And that is our theme today. And we're going to see this perfection play out first in how he prays. And we're going to see how that connects Jesus to us. It seems kind of strange to read this little section of Hebrews chapter 5, and then we hear those words that Jesus was, and I quote, made perfect. Made perfect. Jesus. I mean, that kind of sounds like in that old, the old boxing movie, Rocky, where finally Rocky gets the eye of the tiger, finally he wants victory. And you hear the inspiring music, and you hear the you see the video montage of him training and getting stronger and lasting longer. But that doesn't quite fit the picture of Jesus, does it? And for that matter, if it's true that Jesus is God in the flesh, then why is he doing this? Why is he pleading with God the Father? For God to allow him to take the cup of suffering away from himself, if there's any other way to save the human race, please, Father, give that to me. Why would he be pleading that when he knows God's answer? And put a pin in that thought, because we're going to come back to that prayer. But why would he plead that? He's God, right? And then our lesson also drops this little description of Jesus. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, how can Jesus be all these things? I bet you know the answer. I bet you know, you can remember back to your catechism, which you review, I'm sure, fortnightly. But when you think of the, the catechism, what does it tell us? This time in Jesus' life was his humiliation. The humbling of Jesus Christ what that must have felt like for Jesus. I want you to think of it this way. Basketball game, coach is telling you, you're the players, coach tells you, all right, guys, I know how we messed up last week. That's not going to happen again. This is the team we want to beat. I want your heads in the game. I want your game face on. Now go out there and give it 1%. And the players are like, coach, you, what did you mean to say? And the coach goes, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Now I want you to go out there and give it one-tenth of a percent. I use this crazy example because this is what Jesus did. And if we think that Jesus was showing his power because, look, he showed his godhood all the time. He was healing people. No, no. Jesus as God, bringing the universe into existence out of nothing, compared to giving a person his ability to see, enabling the lame to walk, bringing one human being back from the dead. 
There is no comparison, right? Jesus absolutely did not make use of his full potential and power, not even close. So when you think of that, I want, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of high priest do we have that he would do this? What does that tell you about our high priest? Is it the same person, the same God who made and created the angelic beings and there we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he has to be helped. And Jesus has to humble himself and allow himself, the creator, to be helped by his angels. And it wasn't just about power. It was also about knowledge. Remember when Jesus during his ministry said, I don't know when the last day will be. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. I don't know when the last day will be. The only question we can ask on this is exactly how much and in what ways did he limit his knowledge, but he did. That is very clear. And you, you don't know what's going to happen in your future. How does that feel? Jesus didn't either. He understands. He lived it. What does this say about our great high priest? Look at him. I quote it again. We see him offering up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. This is the same God who just also happened to now be human. The same God who is the author and creator of life, seeing a death approach like no other. How does that make him feel? You've seen it in the old days when you had kids, or if you have kids now, or maybe even remember this yourself, when the doctor comes in, or the nurse comes in, and they got that syringe, and your eyes as a child are bolted onto the tip of that needle, or your child's. What Jesus must have felt like, the author of life in his eyes staring straight ahead, at that oncoming train, if you want to think of it that way, of a death like no other. And yet, he did not rebel. Not a hint of resistance. Amazing. And listen to how simple our lesson makes it sound. It sounds simple. Our lesson says to us, Although he was a son, he learned obedience, and once made perfect... And then I skip a few words. Jesus offered up prayers and petitions to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. What do you think just happened there, just from that reading? Doesn't it sound like Jesus prayed and the Father said yes? That's not what happened. Jesus, as we just heard before, he prayed, God, if there's any other way to save humanity other than the cross, other than facing your righteous anger, let it be. And God the Father refused. And God the Son did not rebel. What does that tell you about your high priest? Glory be to Jesus. I think we can see it already at this point. Glory be to Jesus for being the perfect high priest. 
If we want to accuse God of being too distant, of Jesus not understanding, he can't relate, we are starting to understand how much of a lie that is, how untrue that is. Jesus prayed, didn't he? And he prayed in a way that no one else can. And I want you to think on this. When we solve problems in our own lives, it's one thing to talk about it with trusted friends or with fellow Christians, depends on what the subject is, or to even think within the confines of your own mind to think through a problem and come to a solution. We speak to each other. We talk to each other. It is another world entirely to pray about that same problem. Boil prayer down to its barest essence. Boil it down. What is it? Prayer, the first step, its most basic thought is, I believe, God, that you are real. Sometimes, even in the life of a Christian, there are those moments in your life, haven't you experienced this, where you just go, wow, my my goodness, that's right. He is absolutely real and is to be honored. And that also means that his word is just as real and is to be honored. In fact, God, this is so important to him that we look at the Bible as just as important as God, as the same that he named, what's the one of the most famous names that he gave to Jesus Christ, his son? He named him Logos. In the Greek, he named him the Word in English. That's his name, the Word. Jesus and his Bible are inseparable. So that means just one example, God's will for sex and marriage. It doesn't matter how, what percentage of couples live together before marriage. That will never be God's will. He can forgive these things, but what he teaches is actually right from the start, marriage. Right from the start. And there's no substitute. That's just one example. When it comes to God's claim, and he lays claim to his creature's time, to our time, to our abilities, he even lays claim to our body. And in a world that says, and with this dark nature in us that says, this, this is my way, it's my will. It's my way, it's my body and my business. There is a whole different world between speaking about problems and praying to God about them. Jesus prayed when nobody else did and in a way nobody else can. And if it's hard to say your will be done and to pray about it, then it's so much harder. Imagine how hard it is to actually do it, to get the thing done. I mean, how many of us, you can raise your hand on this, how many people actually want to skydive? How many have actually done it? Nobody? I see one person who actually wants to do it. I, I have absolutely no desire. But you know it's different to look up at a plane in the sky and see people doing it, to actually being the guy who's looking at that light and it's going beep, 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 beep. And you're at the door and people are saying, go, 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 go. And you jump. Jesus jumped into that chasm of death to face a death like no other. Jesus did. And in this, back to our text, he learned obedience. 
It's very different to talk about good and righteous things as opposed to actually do it. It's even different than praying about it, right? For example, a wedding pledge for a husband and wife to love and cherish each other in sickness and in health, it's very different when the husband says, hey guys, go ahead. Go ahead on the fishing trip. Go ahead on the fishing trip without me this year. Uh, the wife and I are tightening the budget. Uh, maybe you can, we can do it next year. It's different when you live it and learn it by experience. It's different when the wife has to say to her friends, hey gals, go ahead and go out and eat lunch. My, my husband needs my help today. And I, yeah, joke away, joke away. But yes, he does. He needs my help. I can't go to lunch. It's different when you live it and do it, isn't it? And it could be anything else. It could be a confirmation vow, making the vow and now living it, fighting temptations in your own life. It could be any of these things and more. Promise to a parent, promise to a friend. Christ said your will be done, and Christ did. He said, I will, and he did. Understand what that means. Our lesson tells us once Jesus was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. These are the kind of words that make Jesus sound so distant from us in and of themselves. But I want you to understand the word used for perfect in Greek can also be rightly translated as complete or finished. Finished. Huh, where have we heard of that word before? Finished. It is finished. This is where we see the ultimate example. Can Jesus relate? As great as he is, can he relate to us? And if we struggle and the cross is not enough, it's the ultimate example of how he can relate. I want you to think of tonight, the weather's getting nicer. You're walking around the block by yourself or with a friend or with a special summon or a spouse. And you're walking around the block, it's dark, and all of a sudden you hear the crying, the sobbing. And you look around and you see a little toddler just able to barely walk and their eyes are all puffy from crying. And, and you immediately hightail it right back home because you want none of that problem, thank you. That's not what you do. You don't know that child from Eve or Adam, and yet you stoop down and you kneel down and say, Hey, hey, did, did you, are you lost? Did you get lost from your parents? We're, we're going to find it. Even if we have to call the police, don't worry. I got you. I'm going to get you home. I'm going to get you to your mom. I'll get you to your dad. You're okay. It's going to be okay. That's Jesus. It is finished. It is finished. And if we struggle with just that example, then Jesus saying he's angry with the disciples because they wouldn't let the little children come to Jesus. He wanted to bless them. Jesus saying to that little girl who was dead, Talitha, come, arise, come back to life. The Jesus who held that little boy who was demon-possessed and drove the demon out of him. The Jesus who helped children time and again throughout his ministry 
When you go home, read the Gospels anywhere. Just put a finger in the Gospel and start reading it. And Jesus was even that way with adults during his ministry here. Adults who are not so young and not so cute and cuddly. We are all beautiful. We are all loved by Jesus. And then the last phrase of our lesson just wrecks everything I just said. Listen to this. It says, Once made perfect, he became the source of salvation, of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Well, there goes salvation by grace through faith. That's not what this lesson says. No, this verse is entirely consistent with salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by grace is what? Salvation by love. By the love of Christ. We just gave examples. When you comprehend, and by faith, we have certainty. We know the love of Jesus. We've seen it through the miracle of the word. And when you see that love, you just start to think like God. You start to live like God. And the exciting part is sometimes you start doing that without even a command. We've talked about this, right? Without even a command. And Jesus says, he is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Of course, people who are enthralled by salvation on the basis of love. When you are enthralled by the love of Jesus, of course you obey. And let me change this verse a little to show how absurd it is to think in any other way as far as salvation goes. We could say Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and for all who disobey him. If Jesus said to you, you live as selfish as you want, go ahead. Do whatever you want to your neighbor. Take their stuff. And he said to the neighbor to do whatever they want to us. Take whatever you want. Jesus would be worse than Satan. At least Satan has some measure of honesty about who he is and what he wants to do. Some honesty. This would make Jesus worse than the devil. No, it is entirely consistent with salvation by love, by faith, to say, yes, those who are saved by Jesus Christ, obey Imperfectly, but we obey. Because we know Jesus obeyed perfectly, already for us. Jesus is the perfect high priest. I've been asking this question, what kind of high priest do you think we have? How do you think he feels about you when we give all these examples of our, of our Savior Jesus? He is the one who kneels down before each one of us and he says, come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. I'm going to get you home. I'm going to get you to your dad, your father. It's going to be okay. When you see that, when you hear that, may we render right back to Jesus, the obedience he so richly deserves. 
Is Jesus too great for us? Can he relate? Absolutely, whether as a human being or as God. But are we too great for him? Are you embarrassed to tell another human being about him? To live his will before another human being? Again, may we render to our high priest the obedience he has earned, the obedience from us that finally is simply Love. Love. Amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. If you're listening to this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. In addition to our traditional worship services, we will continue to create our podcasts and post video versions of our divine services. Links to a video version of our church services can be found on our website, www.stmarksbemidji.org. Our services will continue to be live streamed Sunday at 8 a.m. and are posted for later viewing if this time is not convenient for you. Search YouTube for St. Mark Lutheran Church Bemidji to find our video content archive, including previous streams. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again www.stmarksbemidji.org. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review and telling a friend.